0: Well, good morning. It is great to see you all here, have you here for uh, our series here where we're talking about generations. Um, it's been fun and we want to have fun with it. Um, and uh, But I think it'd be important to know that like the driver behind this for us as a church uh, for a series like this um, is like we, we want to have fun with it, but it's also because um, being a multi-generational church is like a really important value uh, to us. It's something that we have uh, held on to as a church and believe in, even as a calling, uh, going back even before I was uh, the senior pastor around here. It's like it's, it's in our DNA. But One of the things that uh, we have learned uh, over the years of being a multi-generational church is uh, it's not easy to be a multi-generational church. There's lots of struggles and tensions with it, and uh, it hasn't gotten any easier in the last couple of years uh, either with this. But you know, it's it's not easy to be multi-generational anything in our world today right there's a lot of tension out there there's a lot of struggle uh, with that and and ryan and i were able to sit down with three groups of people uh, here recently all from a different generation and just talk about this a little bit and we talked about their experience uh, with these differences so what do you all notice most about the differences between Boomers and Millennials. What's the biggest difference you see between the two? What like? I see it it like this. Boomers are
1: very structured and Millennials are like anti structured They don't want rules.
0: They don't wanna be on time. It's a generalization, but it's a a very (laughs) obvious one. Baby Boomers, they're gonna be on time. What do you think older generations think of when they think of Millennials?
1: I, I think we're most known or stereotyped as being entitled, feeling like we deserve things that we haven't done. I think we get a lot of that we're inexperienced and that we don't really know what we're doing. I feel like that's what I have experienced, at least from you know different generations on us.
0: How, where do you hear that?
1: Well, when it's told to your face from someone of a different generation, okay. you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> like
0: like at work or. Yeah. Neighborhood or like
1: yeah, like I've literally had someone tell me like you don't know what you're doing You're too young to be in the job. You're in you're just entitled and you know This is a hobby for you, and I'm just like
0: I think older generations often think that we give up easily or that we Don't
1: try to push through the difficult things um, that we just oh it's getting hard and I'm just gonna not push through that how do you think they would describe you guys? What do you think they'd say? Okay. I think, uh, well, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna put it on our kids because they do this sometimes. Is they think we're really stuffy, traditional, like, yeah, like the conservative. Yeah, and I think they think that's what we are. Have no. you ever heard of the phrase "Okay, Boomer"? No, you've not. No, oh, really? Okay, no. So like, there's there's like T-shirts and posters and all kinds of things with this phrase, <laughs> and it just says "Okay, Boomer." and Millennials tend to be the people who purchase this particular shirt. Uh, and it is usually in reference to just the idea of like, they think they know everything. Have your have your thoughts, which you think are are perfect or spot on. Yeah. Uh, OK, boomer. like the stereotype uh, dismiss- exists to the degree that there's like dismiss commercial marketing. There- but I wonder if at the point where we are in our age, the millennials, when they get to be our age, might not think the same
0: thing of themselves. I don't know. Uh, the tension is there, and uh, and it's uh, real. And even as I was uh, prepping uh, for this series and uh, this morning, like like you could see it out there. But when I think about the church, right? there's something more for the church. Like like there's a higher kind of calling for the church because we live in a world where that tension between generations has been there a long time. uh, And it's not gonna just uh, go away. And if there's any place that should be a picture of how there can be unity between generations in a beautiful way, like it should be uh, with the church. And uh, there's a passage I want to look at uh, this morning where uh, Paul uh, speaks to the value and this kind of calling to the church uh, to have unity. And, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter four, um, uh, because I want us to look at this. And he's speaking to this more than just like unity between generations. He's, he's talking about unity across the board, including uh, the kinds of struggles that, that we might have between generations. He says this, uh, and it's at the beginning of chapter 4. Look at verse 1. He says this. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And and he says this because uh, he's writing this from prison and it's like he can't go and just go and work on these things at the church in Ephesus. Uh, but he's saying, uh, "Join me with this. I urge you, like, be with me, in seeing this beautiful calling that the church has." This, this, and he, and he goes on through this whole uh, thing. And there's a bunch in Ephesians about this, this idea of this calling of unity uh, that we are to have. Um, but the question becomes, how? Like, how how do you go about achieving and? finding that kind of deep and beautiful uh, unity. I want to read this uh, to you um, because I I wrote this, like, if the world were to write a verse on, okay, how do we achieve this unity? And just looking at how our world handles things, I I think this is is what the world would say uh, about this. Uh, Here's what I wrote. Be completely firm and strong in how you know you're right. Be quick, Focus on the issues. Make every effort to keep the wagon circled around your view of the world through the bond of holy arrogance until everyone agrees, right? Just stick to your guns and and stick to your guns. And then you'll find unity through agreement when you can get everyone to your side. Like If you need to shout louder, shout louder, right? That's, that's like in so many ways, like that's how the world would uh, turn to this. But I want you to see, again, what Paul says uh, about this. Look Look at verse two, and here's how he says to go after how to live out this calling in a more practical way. Verse two, he says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is so countercultural to the kind of messaging we hear in our world today, Like, I, right? Like this is, this would be so out of the box. But they're amazing words. Let, let, let me read it to you just one more time and then, and then I wanna break these words uh, down here. me says this, right? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So right he says this because this this is how we live out this higher calling that, that whatever it is that that might divide us or, or keep us from uniting in a more beautiful way in Christ and in love he's saying This is the way forward. And so I want to just take a moment and and just walk through this passage just a little bit here and then apply it even more directly uh, as we think about this this thing of different generations within one church uh, here. So he starts off, right, and he says, be completely humble and gentle right? Like this is the opposite of arrogance, right? It's the opposite of saying, well, I'm just right. I'm, I'm just, I'm right about this uh, thing, right? How many times have we felt that or have said that uh, in a moment? What he's imploring us to do here, right? To be completely humble is to be open. It, it, it's to be a learner. It's to say, okay, I'm gonna pause and, and I'm gonna try and understand. E- even if I end up not agreeing with it in the end, I'm still gonna to seek to be open that maybe I would change my mind on this, that, that I'm gonna learn something, that, that I don't know uh, everything in this. And you know, arrogance is harsh. There's a harshness uh, to it. And, and this is important, that in, that in seeking this kind of humility of being open and learning, even in those moments where you're open, you examine something, and you come back and you say, you know, e- even though I've, I've heard the other side and, and I've explored this, it's only made me more convinced than ever about whatever it is you're convicted about. You don't have to hold that belief or that conviction with harshness, do you? We can always hold those beliefs with gentleness, And that's what he's saying, that that you don't have to have that harshness with those beliefs. He he says this, he says, be patient. That's a rough one, right? (laughs) Be patient. But what he's saying is, give people time. Be slow to force issues. Be slow to make demands. Be slow to take stands on, on things. Because isn't this true? Faith in Jesus is not a faith of panic, worry, or controlling others, right? If you find yourself in a place, like on some issue between you and someone else, and you're finding yourself in a place of panic or worry or trying to control them or, or push something, that's you're not living in the faith of Jesus in that moment because faith in Jesus isn't a faith of, of panic or worry uh, in those things. And he goes on and he says, Bearing with one another in love. I love this part. Bearing with one another, right? To bear with. It it means in whatever the situation is, like you're finding a way to bear with, to hold, or to bear up that person or the story that you have uh, in this. Um, To bear. Bear up means that you're going to hold something about this person in a different way. Instead of rushing to a story or a motive about that person that is assuming the worst of that person, to bear up with them, it it says, okay, I'm not going to jump too well. They are saying that or doing that because it's a character issue. It's a flaw in them, right? That's, That's not bearing up with them. Bearing up with them is saying, okay, how can I what's the story, what's the lens, what's the view that I can take that helps me hold them up, that even if we disagree, there's a kind of understanding that helps me be with them. I'm, I'm gonna keep bearing with them. And so to bear up means to be quicker to assume the best in them. And, it, and this takes great intentionality and it takes work to gain some understanding of someone who maybe doesn't see things the way that you do. He goes on, he says, make every effort, and no, notice the language in this, make every effort, be completely, right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, not the unity of agreement. That's a totally different kind of unity. That, that, we're, we're not gonna find that in the church or very many places in life, Right? And that's really a pseudo kind of unity anyhow. But instead, a kind of unity through trusting God, even when we don't agree, right? That that I will find unity in the spirit by trusting God in me, even even when I don't understand why that person believes that or is coming at it in that way, or or despite my frustration in this. And he goes on, "Through, through the bond of peace, We can have a kind of bond with one another. Um, And at the very least, it's understanding that we share this. We all share this. We all want peace. Take any issue and on either side, it's people who want peace right? And so often we lose peace, but, but it's because right, right, we let go of peace in moments uh, because there's something that we fear. We let go of peace because we feel like there's something we must defend. We let go of peace out of shame. There's just all of these things. But if we can always remind ourselves that even below those, there is a desire for peace, that, that, that whatever I'm dealing with with other people within my church, we all want peace, in this. That, that he's imploring us to move forward in all of this. He's, right, he's saying that there's a kind of way that you can move forward that pulls us into unity. And not just that this is a good thing, right? He's saying this, this is our calling. And it starts with a lot of realization. You cannot be completely humble. You can't bear with one another in love. You can't be patient without taking the deliberate steps of creating understanding. And part of where that understanding goes uh, is this, and there's something I want you to see in this, but it's this, the first step is in realizing each generation is doing the best they can with the cards that they were dealt in life. Um, And it's a quote about a particular generation. And I want you to take a wild guess at what (laughs) generation this writer is talking about. The younger generation now reaching maturity uh, seems utterly incapable of taking on their responsibility to the nation. Uh, They are more aimless, soft, and generally immature. What generation do you think that was written about?
1: I feel like that captures what we think people think of millennials. Yeah. That was our parents saying, you yeah, know, yes. I was just going to say, it's I think so too. the generation before them saying about them. Every generation. <laughs> I think a boomer said it about Gen X. Ooh, really? Interesting. Okay, huh. Yeah. It just seems like something that you could say about almost every generation if you're the older
0: generation.
1: Yeah, I think it's it would be our parents saying it about uh, our generation.
0: It, it was written back in the late 30s and uh, the author, his name is Lester Tenney, he is a uh, was a World War II survivor from the Bataan Death March. And it was written about his generation right before they were getting ready to go into war. And the thing to think about is that generation that it was being said about, we refer to them now as the greatest generation because of what they endured. And you read his book and realize what he went through. It's like, oh my gosh, they, the metal they were made of was unbelievable. But that's what was said of them. At one point, how many of you, uh, if you were guessing, guessed correctly that it, that it was the greatest generation uh, that that quote was for? Anyone? Yeah, it's okay. A couple of you. Yeah. Here's the amazing thing about that. I came across that quote just reading this book. Not even for this series. It was just I was just a book I was reading uh, uh, myself personally, and I was just like, how in the world? Could anyone think that of that generation? But it just goes to show that like, right, every generation uh, gets these labels. There's things that are said about every single uh, generation, and we all feel them. We, we feel them about what's being said about our generation, and oftentimes we think them about other generations, um, but if we are to actually come together in unity, we need to to begin growing our sense of understanding in order to bear with one another, right? And part of that understanding starts with what I said right before this video, and that is, uh, it's understanding that every generation is like they're doing the best with the circumstances, with the hand that they were dealt, uh, that they could. Um, the other thing is this realization, and it's, and it's this. Um, every generation is dealt a unique hand of cards during their formative years right and and by that what i mean is during those formative years of like think about like um like adolescence through like their very young adulthood every generation faces like these life altering events and because it's during their formative years it it does something so so like the second realization? I'd say is this: every generation has a different view on life with unique cares and concerns, because they uniquely went through those formative th- or those uh, life-altering events at that formative uh, age or years in there. And so, every generation, we all have these different views because of our circumstance and the lens that we have. And if we don't understand that, we will incorrectly evaluate, judge, or read the actions and motives of every other generation out there, It just, it's a way of happening. And so I look at what Paul says and why he says, okay, man, it takes a lot of patience. It takes bearing up. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of listening. Because it takes a lot of understanding. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to to take the second half of my message here and just walk through the application of this. Um, And literally walk through um, four generations, the four main generations uh, in our world today and in our church, and just look at some of the, uh, the labels given each of those generations, but maybe gain a little insight that will help the rest of the generations have a new insight and appreciation for that generation. So so that's what I wanna do. So we're gonna walk through each of these um, generations uh, here. So we're gonna start with the boomer generation and go all the way through to generation Z, the the Z generation. So um, starting with the boomers uh, here this morning, uh, you know, the reason they're called uh, the boomers is because, at the beginning of their generation, the birth rate just like booms. It just like takes off. And all of a sudden in our country, we, we have one of the largest generations for sure up to that point uh, that we had ever had in our country by a long shot in this. But one of the labels, and you heard it in the, the video earlier, one of the labels that gets put on boomers uh, oftentimes is um, their know-it-alls uh, in there. Or said another way oftentimes, maybe even more so, is boomers think they know better right? And whatever the issue is, work, neighborhood, life, whatever it is. Now, uh, if you're a boomer, uh, you might be going, well, I've been through a lot, and I kind of do know better, right? <laughs> and if you're a millennial, you're going, uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? That, I hear that way too much, right? Um, so I want I want us to have a little understanding about what is maybe read at different moments with this label uh, in particular on here. You know, when you think about the baby boomers going back to when they're first being born and they hit these formative years and they're coming into our world post-World War II in a era of our country and most Western countries where there was more raw opportunity for people than, than had Ever been seen for generations and generations and generations. Um, the boomers came into a world uh, where there was going to be all of these unique and new things for them to thrive in. And you'd say, wow, what a blessing. But it is a blessing and a curse because part of what they heard, and if you're an, uh, a boomer here, uh, this morning, I, I'm gonna roll through some of these, and you may go, oh my gosh, yes, I, you're, you're, I did hear that. Uh, boomers heard from their parents and their aunts and uncles and grandparents, uh, things like this. You, you're gonna get to have more education than anyone has ever had in our family, ever. Boomers, they had an opportunity to get higher education, even uh, like through high school, way more than anyone else in their family, and they heard about it. Like, you're gonna get to get, do this. Um, they heard from their family and friends and uh, the older generation. You're going to have it. You're going to have more opportunity with a career and career advancement than anyone has ever had in our family. Um, the world was opening up to the West and especially the United States in amazing ways. And so boomers, they came into the workforce. The chance for them to pick different career. They had more options for what they wanted to do in their career than anyone else had in their family. Like, it just seemed like this amazing thing. The economics of that time, just there was so much potential as the U.S. and Western countries became just this massive global marketplace that just fueled the economy. But you know what else came with that? was this curse because with that came this kind of message. Um, And the the message was this. The message was, you're getting all of this opportunity and you better live up to it. With great opportunity comes great expectation. And I'll even, uh, I'll go so far to say impossible pressure to actually accomplish what was like emotionally laid at their feet, right? Imagine growing up and no matter what you achieved, like it wasn't enough because it's just like, but you, like you have to do more because you have been given so much more. Like you've been given an opportunity and accidentally, right? They had this burden put on them. To top it off, they're trying to live this out in the shadow Of the generation before them and I want you to think about the shadow that was cast over them right this is a generation that saved the world from Hitler invented atomic energy and you know cured polio so you know go out do that right it's just it's like how could you live up to all of this and with it came this additional uh, message Um, and if it gets hard you just need to buck up and do what you're told and And we don't want to hear about your feelings on all of this either, right? Because, and I see some boomers nodding in this, yeah, yeah. Think about this, right? They're in the shadow of a generation that suffered unbelievably at, at a deep psychological level, right? They went through the Great Depression and then through World War II and then the Korean War. They were hurt, and damaged by that. And you know how they dealt with it? You just don't even talk about it. You just bottle it up inside. And that that was kind of the message that like boomers had. Like it just like it gets don't you just better go achieve and and just buck up, right? So what you have is this beautiful blessing that comes with this tough curse. Boomers end up being maybe one of the most driven uh, generations uh, our country has ever had. I mean, they are driven to accomplish because like that's all they heard from the very beginning uh, through those uh, formative years in there. So, uh, uh, Don't be uh, confused when you read things about how boomers are struggling with retirement, right? Like that's a thing nowadays, right? They're putting off retirement. Why? Because there's still more they need to accomplish. Um, There's this other thing that's happening. As boomers go into retirement uh, nowadays, it's becoming like a psychological crisis. Boomers who refuse to get any therapy or counseling their whole lives go into retirement and suddenly go on. I can't handle this. I got to get some counseling, right? Every past generation was like, no, retirement is the therapy for what you went through life and boom like but understand because there's this burden that they've held. It's just like you've got to accomplish, you've got to do more. And and now go into retirement and just give up my whole identity and something. Like there's a struggle uh, in all of this. And so maybe the thing to remember in moments where like, where you're just like, I'm frustrated. Like there's, there's a boomer that just like, they're saying, well, I know a better way. This is what it needs to be. Or like, they've got all this driver. It's just remember, bear with them that, that maybe they have a lens of the world and a burden they've been carrying. And like this, it's just what they know. Like they're, they're struggling through all of this as well. But they just know drive, 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 drive in this. And maybe we can bear with that, just understanding that more. And let me say this to, to all the boomers in the room. And I say this in the most pastoral An affectionate way, I mean this, just a way of encouragement, okay? Share, okay? Uh, Share in the opportunities. Share in moments that even if you see something and you're just like, but I know a better way. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but it doesn't mean it has to be the only way. Like, pull other generations into feeling more like they're with you. In changing the world, because like we love the gift that you have given us in this world. You have changed the world. You know, I talk about like boomers. They opened the door to so many changes, right? They want. They have a passion to make the world better, and that is a passion that that. All generations in the church share. That's a beautiful thing that's come out in this. We all want to make the world better. You know what, boomers, we, you know what we love you for? You opened the door on that. You didn't just, you, you slammed the door open on that. You slammed the door open, you took it off the hinges, and then knocked down the wall that that door was hanging on, right? When you look at things like civil rights and women's rights and just all of these things, like you wanted to make the world better in this. We're grateful for that uh, in here. Help us be with you in that. Now, let me talk about Xers for uh, a moment uh, here. When you think about Xers, uh, one of the early titles given the Xer generation uh, was uh, the baby buster uh, generation. And the reason for that was because the uh, birth rate just became like a total bust. It just, it just plummeted. Uh, and one of the labels uh, that was given the Xer generation was like aimless. They, they're just, they, they're aimless. They have no drive. Where's their drive? Well, of course they seem like they didn't have drive. Because if you're following the boomers, what generation is going to look like it has uh, drive on the heels of the boomers, right? If you're an Xer, uh, there is one... Um, label in particular that you'll probably uh, remember, and it was uh, made famous uh, through a movie called Back to the Future, right, with uh, uh, Marty McFly. Marty McFly had one of his high school teachers named Mr. Strickland, and Mr. Strickland had a label for McFly that in some ways uh, captured uh, this label that, that wanted to be given to the Xer generation. Anyone remember what it was? He'd say, McFly, you're going to be, yeah, have some Xers in the room. Yeah. A slacker. You're just a slacker. Where's your drive? Where's, right? You know, why don't you try and accomplish something in all of this? But uh, here's something important to understand about the Xer generation. And again, this goes back kind of to this, uh, birth rate thing that's happening. Part of the reason that the birth rate is dropping is because boomers are, they are busy accomplishing, right? That drive, they are busy changing the world. They start delaying having kids. And that begins creating this fall in the birth rate. And as boomers are delaying having kids, it's, it's not just that they're That next population is smaller. It's that they are spending an immense amount of time and energy in the world accomplishing all of these things. And they're out there, but you know the place that they were at less? Home. Between a a rising divorce rate and all of this stuff that the boomer generation was engaging in, you have a generation of people in our country. And this was one of the other labels uh, given Xers that still stands today, and that is the latchkey generation. Because it was an unprecedented, unprecedented number of kids um, in this generation that carried a house key in their pocket or around their neck, called latchkey kids, that would go home after school and let themselves in and they were all on their own. They exers out of this became then one of the most quietly independent generations that our country has ever seen because it was just out of necessity and it's not like their parents abandoned them as boomers didn't abandon their kids i mean they showed up at dinner time and they got they came home right it's just you have a whole generation that spent a lot of time where they had they were they had to become self-responsible for getting their homework done, uh, making a snack after school. They had to entertain themselves more than any other generation. It was funny talking uh, with the exers like they talked about you know like kids today you know like they most of them don't even have a bike and when they have a bike they ride it around the cul-de-sac a few times and they're like I'm done. We would ride our bike for hours because that's the only thing you could do. Well, I mean, we went and played in the desert with rocks and sticks because we had to entertain ourselves, right? Um, And so out of that, it didn't create as much drive as the boomers had, but it sure created a lot of independence and not like fierce independence to fight and rebel, but a kind of independence that's just like, I'll take care of myself. I'll, 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 I'll take care of that. I'll work on that. I'll do that. And so they become this kind of smaller, quieter generation but very independent. But there is one thing that where, where they have made a substantial change in all of this, and it came out as they went into adulthood, as they went into parenting, and they were in a boomer world of, of tr- driving for all of these things, and I think there was something out of, out of those early years of being so independent, that they came to value relationships. As being super important, and that they decided that as they went into marriage, as they went into careers and church, that they would they would pull and hold relationships together, and that that would be super important in all of this. Right. So maybe if there's a moment where you're just like, you know, I'm kind of frustrated with that exer, that exer leader, or that exer employee, or that exer whatever. Maybe part of it's because. At the end of the day, they were shaped by some things where total success just—they can't define total success by just the things that are achieved. If it leaves out relationship, like they they will sacrifice many things to find relationship in this, and 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 maybe just understanding that little bit, just oh, I understand that extra in my life a little better. And can I say this? to uh, Xers, and I being an Xer, like uh, I'm on that older end of Xers, is um, I'd say this. Don't view the world as having to choose between drive and relationship. You can have both. You can have both. And and I think Xers, you're a generation that is well-equipped to help show other generations how to have both drive and relationship. And boy, isn't that something that the church needs and would, would benefit from in this. Millennials, let's talk about millennials uh, for just a, a moment here. Um, so when you think about uh, millennials, right, this all of a sudden is again this huge swing in the birth rate uh, in Western civilization, especially in our country. And part of what's happening here is those boomers that were delaying having kids, they're still having kids uh, into the 80s. And so all of a sudden you have the boomer generation that is having kids. But now, uh, like into the mid 80s, early 90s, you have Xers that are starting to have kids. And all of a sudden you have two generations that are having kids, and it starts making this much larger generation uh, in this. And one of the labels that gets thrown at millennials uh, oftentimes is this idea of entitlement like you're so entitled why this is such an entitled uh, generation um they're super optimistic right but but they're they feel entitled like they should just have you know the corner office they should just have success they should just have the trophy they should like life should just be handed to them somehow and there can be all this frustration with this but I want you to understand them a little bit better. And again, some of the, the forces that shaped them. So part of what shaped them was an exergeneration Right, that is now becoming their uh, parents, and these uh, younger boomers, and there is this shift with Xers in parenting in a major way, and even with younger boomers, and that is, they're swinging, you know, from that independence. They they want to swing as far away from the opposite of latchkey uh, kids and family as possible, and they go from being the children, uh, you know, latchkey children, to being hovering over-present parents, right? And, and so you have this this thing that's happening in them, and on top of that, technology fuels this. Um, when Xers were kids, technology didn't help them at all in, in this, right? When Xers were little kids, there were no baby monitors, there were no nanny cams, there, you know, there was nothing to track your kids uh, with, right? There was a phone that was hooked to a wall, right? That's it, right? All right? Um Xers become parents, and it's not just you know nanny cams and baby monitors, it's your kids have smartphones right? Your kids have built-in trackers now. Like, I remember being a parent, and it was just like, wow, this is so weird. I know where my kids are driving right now, like real time. I don't have, they don't even have, they don't even know I'm tracking them right now. I mean, they probably did because they're better with technology than me, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I know right where my kids are right now. You can, and if I, and you know, and if that's not enough input for me, I can FaceTime them right? Not just hear what they're saying. I can can see the look on their face. I can see what's going on around them. And Xers took full advantage of this. And suddenly millennials, millennials are parented uh, by parents, uh, many of whom become known as what? Helicopter parents. Yeah. They hover over them. And you know, again, blessing and curse in this. There's this thing uh, where millennials grew up and the messaging they heard was, man, the world is your oyster. You can be anything you want to be. You've got what it takes. You get to step out in the world. You're amazing. And it's just again and again and again. Parents... Uh, more than any other generation for this generation became advocates for their kids, right? If they went off to school and there was a problem at school, right? Um, Other generations, you remember like, man, I had to deal with the bully all by myself, right? The teacher, you know, if I wasn't getting along with the teacher, the teacher would call my parents and I'd get trouble with my parents. That's switched, friends. Like now, you, you know, something goes on between a student and a parent. The, the teacher's like, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to deal with them and their parents, right? Because parents like, were advocating for their kids. Like just All of this messaging, it made them one of the most optimistic generations we've ever seen. In fact, in many ways, they're very similar to boomers. They have an optimistic drive about wanting to change the world. They wanna get in, they wanna change, like all of this stuff. But now I want you to think about this, because as millennials step, they go from being kids all lifetime, and what have they heard from adults? The world is your oyster. You get to do anything you want. You're gonna be awesome. And then they become adults, and they go to step into that world to be all they can be, and the adults are all going, who do you think you are? (laughs) It's like, they just got like whiplash. It's like all the adults were saying this, and now I become an adult, and they're all saying the opposite, right? Like, so the next time you, you hear a millennial and you go, are they being a little entitled? Maybe they're just trying to figure out what happened from when they went from childhood to adulthood, and the messaging just went whoosh, like this. Put on top of that the events that they went through, right? The world is your oyster. It's wonderful. You're going to achieve amazing things. You know, you have to make it through 9-11. You have to make it through terrorism. Two wars on terrorism. Oh, and then there's the 08 housing bubble, Right? So when you hear a millennial talking about it and they're a little bit like, you know, the oyster's starting to stink a little, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe part of the frustration you hear with millennials is a hope and a desire and a drive to say, can we not have a better oyster? And we want to be a part of making a, best, a better oyster in the world. See, maybe, maybe that's what we're hearing uh, in some of, uh, of this and what's going on uh, with this. Um, so let me say this uh, uh, to millennials, that like we hear you and we understand that like, there's even an economic thing that you're facing, and this is important for all of us to know in, in the older generations. The economic situation that they're stepping into is almost the opposite of what the boomers stepped into. Uh, When you compare apples to apples to the economic situation of the cost of school, the cost of buying a house, even a car, millennials are forced into uh, something where uh, what was not out of reach in a reasonable way for so many other generations is still out of reach for most millennials. It's going to take a lot longer for them to get to that place, and we need to be patient with that. But to the millennials, can I offer you this encouragement and like this kind of pastoral senses? Um, be patient, be patient, and, and be open to being with us. And as a church, we, we not only want to give you the opportunity to change the world, we recognize that you have already been changing the world and making it a better place. It's not, will you make the world a better place? You have, and we see that. But have patience and keep that courage and that drive that you have. Now, lastly, uh, Generation Z. And, and again, with Z, what you see is there's a little bit of falling off with the birth rate, but nothing like we saw with the Xer generation or some other past generations. Uh, we're still going to see a massive influx of, of young people in our future uh, with this. And there's so much that we still don't know about Gen Z because Uh, They are teenagers, and some of them are now young adults in their early uh, 20s. Um, And the label that gets thrown at Gen Z so often is, they're so cynical, right? Have a little positivity, right? They're just cynical in this thing, right? But understand this. Like, here's something for us to all understand. Think about everything that the millennials faced, right? That whiplash and all of that stuff. But then add this. Add a pandemic that that meant that many of them didn't get to see their high school or college graduations. Right? They did that on Zoom, and then remember um, uh, this: that uh, they had they had to go through watching all of the adults in the world exercise great maturity through some elections here. Right? That. Right? So, think about that for a second. And, and we're gonna be trying to tell them how to do life, and, and it's like, you know, I hear people saying all this stuff, but it doesn't add up. Like, I think we should recognize that when we see them saying, I'm struggling, there's reasons why. And to understand this, we're not gonna have instant credibility in their lives. And maybe the way we find credibility in their lives is not just because, well, I'm older and I know better. Maybe it's credibility that's gotta come relationally. Maybe it's credibility that's got to act, they've got to experience people being with them from older generations in this. And let me say this uh, to Gen Z, um, your life is a precious gift. And as a church, what we want to be in this next leg of life that you're living is to be a living example that helps you see that about you and helps you live that out um, in a way that God is designed and made and called you in this. See, friends, um, there's so much that we can understand um, between each uh, generation and so much uh, that we can grow in. And one of the things, though, and I'm going to just state this as a kind of of truth, and then there's a video that I want you to to watch here. Um, Every generation has so much to offer. Every generation has a gift that is, is beautiful. And that even came out as Ryan and I were talking uh, to these different groups in different generations. And, and I want you to just hear some of what they have to say about this. What do you think are some of the things that as a generation that your generation really values a lot? I think we value community. I yeah. think that's a big thing.
1: They'll stick with you to the end. You know, you can ride this roller coaster ride of life.
0: As you think about where the world is right now, what do you think millennials bring that like the world needs right now?
1: I think we're super flexible and adaptable. We're moving around more and you know, creating new families of our own out of our friend group and creating stability out of that and our ability to adapt to new things because everything's always changing.
0: Okay. I think one of
1: our greatest strengths is that we're we're supportive and we're
0: inclusive. What do you what would you all hope that Generation X would be known for?
1: I was kinda of thinking right along what Adam was saying. It's just I I would hope that we're known for seeing people for who they are and loving them.
0: Anything that when you think about other generations, like you think about your parents, you think about your kids, co-workers in those different generations, what what's unique about I think we came right in the middle of kind of the the
1: boomer generation and the younger generation which probably helped us balance each other because now we're getting acclimated to so much technology as Dan was mentioning and we're actually training the boomers and the younger kids are training us so we're kind of like in the middle what's when people look at your generation what would they say or when you look at your generation what would you say like this this is where we started but this is where we are Do you know what I mean yeah because of being post-war generation and our parents having gone through the depression, mm-hmm. World War II, and during the, like the 50s and the first part of the 60s, things were pretty rigid. I mean, you believed what you believed, and it was a, but then all of a sudden, there was a big explosion. Um, Civil Rights Movement, mm-hmm. um, Women's Liberation Movement, all these different movements, and so it started to ex- make us to kind of expand and think more about out of, outside the box at that point and see all these other different things happening. And so I think for this generation, we probably moved more from that rigidity into having more of an open mind about different things because of what all the events that occurred. And so it really changed our minds in a lot of ways.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, every generation is a gift and every generation has a gift. And so let me say this to all of you as followers of Christ as people that are maybe a part of this church or even if you're just visiting uh, here this morning just give away give away your humility and your gentleness give away your patience and give away your love keep finding ways to partner in unity and keep finding ways to put Christ on display Um, I'm going to uh, say a prayer for us Uh, Miles, but as soon as I'm done praying, Miles is gonna come and uh, close us out uh, this morning with a few things. But uh, will you just bow your heads in prayer with me right now? Father, I just, I thank you for each and every generation uh, that we have in this church. I thank you for all the generations that we had and the gift that they were before uh, the generations that we talked about. And we ask that you would keep lifting us up together in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.